Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 23. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I am a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode on Life at School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them who they are, how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. This week, I sit down with Chris Monsoor. Chris is a biology teacher at Columbian High School in Tiffin, Ohio. Chris is a leader of the science teaching community, both locally and nationally. He serves as a moderator of the AP Biology Teacher Group on Facebook. He serves as a HHMI bio-interactive ambassador. He regularly contributes to reviews and articles to the biology teacher and has served as the District 3 coordinator to the National Association of Biology Teacher. He currently oversees the NABT bio clubs. Chris has participated in multiple Earth expeditions, uh, including trips to Trinidad, Namibia, Argentina, to study conservation issues. In 2007, Chris was selected to participate in the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Teacher at Sea program. Chris has been recognized for his excellence in teaching by many awards, including the 2015 Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching and the 2007 Seneca County Chamber of Commerce Teacher of the Year. He was also the 2005 Outstanding Biology Teacher of the Year. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Great. Yeah, um, I have a very funny story. When I was out in Los Angeles, um, I was hanging out with uh, Paul Strode and Ryan Reardon. And uh, I don't know, they started talking and we were like, oh, yeah, we were supposed to get together with Bob Kuhn. Who's, who's Bob with? Oh, Bob's with uh, Chris. And I was like, oh, cool. I would love to meet Chris. And uh, we just never we never hooked up with you that yeah. night. So Yeah, it was, uh, Los Angeles was, was, was busy. So it's kind of interesting to go to those conferences and you like see all these names on Facebook or whatnot. And you're like, oh, you finally get to, you know, put a name with a face. So maybe at the next conference, we'll definitely have to uh, run into each other. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was funny because I was uh, my students uh, participated. Uh, Kanufki had put together those uh, those AP Bio reviews uh, that we just finished, um, and uh, some so my students and I did a you know you did some moderating on that and I did some moderating on it, um, and uh, my students were like, so do you know these people in person? And I was like, all right, so let me tell you, there's this one time that I'm sitting and Lee Ferguson's across the table from me at dinner and Ryan Rudin's up right up my right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, us bio nerds, we hang when we get together. <laughs> yeah, it's great. When you, and then, you know, you kind of you kind of get together, you get to talk shop. And yeah, so I, I always tell my students, yes, I do know these people actually in real life. And so they're always it's kind of like uh, like fans. <laughs> so they're like they're fans of them. Yeah, well, that's like I when I chatted uh, earlier this year and I interviewed uh, Paul Anderson and um, I sort of dropped in. I was like, oh, yeah, I was just talking to Paul Anderson. They're like the Paul Anderson, you know, AP bios. You're talking celebrity t status there. Yes, it was because Paul's really good about about that. Like last year, he recorded a message for my kids, for my students, and they just were like over over the moon about it. So, yeah, so it's, it's kind of because you do develop these relationships with people because when you teach bio and AP bio, you kind of kind of you, you understand the struggle sometimes so yeah and you know that's it's one of one of those funny things that's sort of an unintentional consequence of me doing the show this year you know um i have i have a small local community but this this year i've been you know seeing all these people and seeing interesting things and i literally have now an excuse and you know, i it i don't want to say my podcast is an excuse my podcast now is an excuse to say 
oh yeah, I read what they said about that, or I see that they're doing this work, and that's really cool. Hey, I can call them up and talk to them for an hour. Or so that's been. Uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to wedge their way into the national uh, bio teacher community, all you have to do is you know start a podcast, and then you have <laughs> the excuse to meet all these people. <laughs> and, and like I said, it's with with technology, it's great because now you can bat, like I like I'm friends with Lee. I can call her up or text her. Hey, do you have a resource for this or? with Dave. And so, yeah, it's kind of nice now with the technology that being able to, I, I'm like the lone AP teacher in my district. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like an island upon myself there for a while. And once I discovered the community in NABT, it's, it's made my teaching that much better because it's like professional development. It's like your own professional learning community in a virtual kind of setting. So it's, it's been an amazing. I've been very fortunate to make the friends that I have and the connections and they just made my teaching so much better. Yeah. All right. So uh, without uh, further ado, let me get into the first question I like to ask everybody because I think everybody's backstory is pretty interesting. So uh, how did you become a science teacher? What led you into the classroom? Well, I, I did not plan to go be a science teacher. But my I was getting a degree in environmental biology, graduated, was going to um, environment, I was gonna go to um, Ohio University to major in environmental policy and planning. And uh, basically what happened was I was waiting tables back home. And one day I was waiting tables and ladies like, Oh, you're new here. And I was like, yeah, I just graduated the bio degree. You know, not sure if I'm going to go to school. She's like, we just had a science teacher resign yesterday. And it was like in August. <laughs> She's like, I want to try subbing. And I'm like, how hard can it be? <laughs> so within two weeks, here I am, you know, it's beginning of August, never taught a day in my life. And now I'm teaching three sections of was cell biology anatomy and phys. And so I, I had no intention to be a teacher. All my background was research. I was big on, big on Lake Erie, invasive species in Lake Erie. I knew everything about zebra mussels and the round goby, knew nothing about teaching pedagogy. Went in, subbed. I loved it. I had to go through though. And uh, I was my own student teacher, which was completely <laughs> illegal at the time. But the school that I worked with, I, I, it was where I graduated from the college. So the guy just signed off on it. And so, yeah, I had no intention to be a teacher. So that's kind of how I, I kind of fell into teaching by accident. I did. So I had to go through those education classes while I basically subbed for a year and a half. And then they must have liked me because 18 years later, I'm still there. But I had no my plan was to be doing environmental policy, you know, not teaching high school, freshmen, sophomores, juniors. But I love every minute of it. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was by accident. <laughs> so that's how I got into it. Well, it's interesting because you said, uh, how hard could it be? Um, I guess my, my answer is, I think you learned it. It was pretty well, hard. <laughs> well, what, what was helpful, though, is I knew my content. Like, I knew biology. The, like, what, I've, what I've discovered over my 18 years, teaching is an art. There's a science part to it, but there is an art. Like, so you have to be able, like, you know, you got to have people skills. And I was able to make those connections with the kids. I love science. So we just did science all day. You know, I had, you know, the basic classroom management issues, stuff like that as a first year teacher. But since I loved my subject, my kids knew I loved it. Like I was probably the biggest nerd in the room. It, it, I didn't have some of those other issues and I didn't get wrapped up in the testing and that kind of stuff. So I really do think, you know, teaching, it's almost like a calling. You, you got to, you got to have that finesse. You got to have those, those skills. So, you know, how hard it was hard. I mean, there were some days where I'm like, what did I do? Like, but Knowing that, like when I leave, I get to do science every day. I get, you know, I get to open up these this world to these kids that they may not have experienced. And so, yeah, I mean, even in eighteen years, this has been a rough year. And there's some days where I'm like, what if I would have became that environmental lawyer? But no, I wouldn't give it up for anything. But it, it it's it's not it's not it's not easy. So, <laughs> well, in the way you described it, and you know, you're talking about going out in the field. 
Um, in terms of like working and my, I'm not, my background's not really field uh, biology, it's more of bench science, but there's translational skills. I always right. felt that science, uh, the thing that always got me excited about doing science in college was it was a puzzle. Like you had to sit down and like you had to come up with a question and you had to ask the right questions and you could go down the wrong path. And there's so much of that that is like working in a classroom. You know, yeah. how do we get the kids to engage with this exciting topic that you're passionate about? There's a puzzle to that. Um, and, it, and trying to figure out what's, what's the best way to do it. You know, photosynthesis respiration may not be the most exciting thing for the kids. I love it, but I've got to figure out a way to make it accessible and make it understandable. And because a lot of times when I get when the kids get to me, for whatever reason, science is workbook and death by PowerPoint sometimes. <laughs> and so trying to break that, you know, break that learning style, you know, turning it into that puzzle and then seeing that yeah you're you know i always share with my students like most of my research failed like <laughs> but you know I, I i would have loved to figure out some of these problems that i had but but that was the process of science and it's not memorization it's it's a process so yeah i love it I, it's, all, it's a puzzle every day i walk in i'm like what kids am i going to get today what's going to be their <laughs> mood and what am i going to try to get covered so yeah i completely agree with the puzzle yeah. And then, you know, same deal. Like you can have those days where you're driving home and you're shaking your head because, you know, you just spent, you know, eight hours, you know, running all this experiments to get nothing on the gel. Or you could just spend eight hours trying to have kids learn to understand something. And you've looked at these tests and it's like, man, they didn't get it. So I think I think the, the highs and lows are very similar uh, on both. Yeah. Ends. And one of the major thing is when I work with new students, it's like or pre-service teachers, like you've got to be reflective. Mm hmm gotta see what worked because as science we always go back through and refine our experiments we look and i go as as a teacher you've got to go back and like even after 18 years i go back and i look at okay what worked what didn't i have to refine this i just can't pull the stuff out of the folder from last year and expect it to work again so yeah. teaching is kind of like an inquiry yeah yeah and i was looking at i was just looking at survey data last night um we do sort of end the, i do a sort of a quick end of the year survey of my kids and looking last year to this year, you know, what are the areas that, um, you know, I could, there's a couple of the questions that I ask where it's like, you know, phenomenal responses, you know, and I, I don't dwell on those. It's the one where it's like, you know, why do 30 some odd kids say that I only sometimes do this? Like, why is it that this is the one that's not in line with all the others? What, how could I do this part better? Like, why are the kids not seeing? And I was like, I think I do that, but the kids aren't seeing that. So why, why don't they see it? And that's, that's a hard thing to do. I do surveys too. And people are like, why do you surveys? Like, I got to see what I did, what, what's not working. But that, that's one of the hardest things to do is look back and see like, oh, I'm not doing this. And so I think sometimes um, teaching new teachers, like you have to be reflective and you have to be able to, like the kids are, you're going to be your best critics, but they're also going to be the harshest. So that, that is a hard thing to sometimes to swallow when you're like, okay, I can do this. So can't take it personal. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving on to my next question, although I think we sort of touched in it and you, you answered it. Um, one of the things that you popped out and, um, you know, I think it's it's fascinating when I look at what you have done in your summers and sort of what I like to do in my summers. I like to work in my summers. Any excuse I get to get at a lab bench like that to me, that's like awesome. I got a lab bench, got to hold a pipetter, got to run some gels. That's there. You, you were, you know, you're at doing the NOAA um, uh you know, exper expeditions, you're doing the earth expeditions. Um, how did you get into these types of trips? And, you know, like, how does that sort of bring back into your classroom? 
Well, I think, well, with Earth Expeditions, um, I had signed up. It's through Miami University of Ohio, and they have a series of trips. And I'm actually going to Thailand this summer for Buddhism and conservation. So I'm really looking forward to it. But I reason why I got involved in this field work is because I think to be able to teach science, you still have to do science. And so my training and background was field research, right? So field work. out, And so, you know, I looked for opportunities in the summer to to do research or to go out and experience these things and I bring them back to my classroom because a lot of times my kids small kind of rural area they may not be able to go very far I, I tell them one day I'm going to write a book life beyond 224 because 224 is like the highway in town I try to tell my kids there is life beyond 224 there's stuff for you to do out there and so by me bringing in these trips and showing them the pictures and talking about oh yeah when I was working with cheetahs in Namibia it shows to them that oh this guy here in small Tiffin can do that. And so, and so I, being able to bring that research in and being able to incorporate my kids into it and letting them see that, Hey, I was the average kid in high school. I, I probably should have worked harder. I was not the 4.0 when I graduated from college, but I worked very hard and I get to do all these things. And then the teacher at C program, I just, you know, I'm always looking for stuff to do in the summer. I don't do well with idle time. So I like to be busy and keep my mind going. And now when I came across and I spent, 30 days out in the Hawaiian Islands, you know, out in the uh, Northwest Hawaiian Islands tracking um, or tagging lobsters and sharks. So I like to try to do those things to keep me, it's good for my my psyche too, but yeah, the field work I, is just amazing. And the opportunities to travel around the world and bring these experiences back to the kids. So that's kind of what keeps me grounded and it keeps me still doing science mm-hmm. as opposed, you know, I do science all year, but it's kind of for me, but it also benefits my students. When you, when you look at those experiences, are you able to bring back um, data or like case studies or that sort of thing directly for it? Or do you think it's just sort of an extension of um, new insights that help you make connections as you help them make connections? I think it's both because like when I was working with, so I spent some time in Namibia with the cheetahs. And so I teach environmental science. And I talk about, like in my AP class, we talk about bottleneck effects and those kind of things. And genetic drift, I talk about the cheetahs. And I was like, okay, so in Namibia, cheetah population is so low. So I kind of bring that back in and we'll do research. We'll do studies. You know, I'll talk about Cheetah Conservation Fund. Um, I was in Australia two summers ago with them and we were on the Great Barrier Reef. So this year I was talking about coral bleaching and I was able to show them my pictures. And then we did some of the, then I, bring, I try to bring a lot of data. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the data sets from HHMI mm-hmm. or data nuggets. So I'll use it. I try to bring in those things to show them, oh, yeah, when I was here. So it's kind of both. I try to bring in my own experiences. I try to bring in research. Like the research that I'm doing, is not like publishable. Like we're going out. We're just kind of we're like working for an organization to help them collect data. I mean, I've, so I, I, it's a mix of both. It really depends on what we're doing at the time. Yeah, it's not like it's not really citizen science. It's sort of that transition between the citizen science and the graduate student. You're you're assisting the graduate student type work, you know, yes, because what's nice about it through the Earth Expeditions, I get I get some graduate hours. I I get a reduced rate, but um, I have to do like so in the fall, I'll do an, uh, an action project, which the last one I did was I incorporated bills. I don't know if you're familiar with bills, you know, Lee Ferguson and her uh-huh. notebook. I incorporate that in my classroom. And so I wrote about that as my action project, and now I'm using those in my classroom, and that was part of my trip to Australia. I had uh, In the summer, I did research on the Barrier Reef, mm-hmm. but then I had to do an action project. And my action project was, okay, let's try these bills. So, yes, it, it's it's kind of a mix of both. Uh, it's, 
it's anytime you can bring those experiences back in no matter how formal or informal it's super valuable so um uh, yeah, I think uh, having the the data points, and I did talk to to Bob uh, Kuhn about his some of his data work that he's been doing for HHMI, and I can I can completely see how your experiences would tie into those data those data points. Yeah. All right. So another thing that we uh, that sort of popped out um, in here is, um, and you've already brought this up about you know talking to new teachers, um, is that a lot of what your work seems to be is to be connected to like outreach, teacher outreach. Uh, when I think of like you're working in ABT, uh, you're working at HHMI, AP Biology Facebook group. We before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about you know community discussion about the AP that was earlier this week. We are recording this. Uh, almost a week after the AP, uh, yeah. and um, and I'm just curious um, how this work has been involved in your day to day teaching. You know, you mentioned that you're sort of on an island by yourself. So how does how do these communities and this outreach work uh, connect back? When I first started teaching 18 years ago, I didn't have much guidance. So again, I did not go to education training. So here I am in the classroom, and so you know, I got involved. Really, my getting involved with teacher outreach was through HHMI back in like 2007. I've been with them for about 10 years wow. doing different things. And that was my first time going to go to a lecture and creating materials with them. And then I got involved in ABT. And next thing you know, I'm like, I can impact a lot of students by impacting new teachers. And so um, I feel really strongly that if, you know, we want to be, if I want to be an agent of change and I want to improve science education, I have to target the teachers. I can do as much as I want for the students, but these new teachers, because I've worked with some student teachers from local universities, and sometimes, you know, they take a science methods class, but it's, I'm like, okay, what methods did you learn? A lot of theory or action. And so seeing that a lot of them, like, they get, you know, constructivist theory, inquiry theory, but I'm like, no, we need to do, how do you set up a lab? And I was asking these questions, and they're like, I don't know. Like, how do you assess this? And so my big drive for the last couple of years when I'm working with HHMI and AMBT is showing teachers resources and how to use them how to incorporate inquiry. Like there's this resistance to inquiry for whatever reason, because there's all these myths about it. And the new one that I'm really fond of is this ADI, argumentative driven inquiry, and just showing them like, you don't have to do a PowerPoint to teach the science. Mm -hmm. You teach a lot of science in lab. And so just seeing how some of these new teachers were struggling, cause you know, we've got really good first year teachers, but they're not making it five years because they may not necessarily know the, the best methods. And, and so I just see myself as a, as a resource to help them because, you know, my first year, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. <laughs> so, um, but I think being active on Facebook, being active with NABT, are comfortable asking questions and I have no problem sharing resources. And so I just feel like I will be able to impact more students by, you know, impacting more teachers. Cause you know, if one teacher's got a hundred kids a day, you know, it's going to be a great impact for me. So, and I, I really love doing it. I love sitting down with the new teacher and be like, okay, how are you going to do this? Let's map this out. Well, here's an activity. Here's an activity. Here's an activity. So I think I answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. I mean, one of the things, and it, we're, we're fairly, we're pretty much contemporaries. And I think my first classroom, my first year in the classroom was 96, 97. Um, you know, the world back then was so different. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was, there was very much, I think, um, a history of, yeah, there were some teachers that collaborated, but you walked in your room and you closed your door and that was your world. Um, and forget about how teaching science was different. Um, I don't I don't know that you could 
blanket how everyone taught science, but it was it was definitely much more content driven, less process driven, that sort of thing. But it was totally acceptable for you to go in your room and close your door and sort of just teach the same thing for, you know, 20 years. Yeah. And and if you tweaked anything at all, you know, that was that was good. But now we live in, you know, as I always tell, like, tell my kids, we live in the future now. You know, we <laughs> you can talk to somebody somewhere else, you know, in the world. You could collect you could talk to a researcher who's doing work on something or you could go and 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 collect information about any place in the world instantaneously because we're in this information age. Um, I, I guess my question is sort of how does this, as we move forward as teachers, how does this sort of connectivity maybe help us all, not just those new teachers and maybe improve the retainment, which has been a huge issue, but I guess, how does it help us, you know, get through the second half of our career? Um, Well, I think the big thing is communication and, and one of those skills that students have to learn. And again, going through as a science major, I had to communicate with others. Mm-hmm. And so I think communication is going to be key to, to solving these problems because globalization and all those terms they like to throw out, you're going to, you know, the, the, the solutions to whatever problem, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. And so students, my, I always emphasize my students, like you have to work together. All of this information is out on the internet. You have more power in your hand and your cell phone than, you know, what got them to the moon or whatever that, that comment, you know, I, I read it somewhere on the internet. So, but communication is a key. And like, even I've been teaching for 18 years, I still have to communicate with other AP teachers because like I said, when some of these people that we talk about, like Lee and Ryan and, and Bob, you know, I'm like, oh, they're really doing cool stuff. But what's nice now, they're asking me for my stuff. And so I think communication is going to be key. One, preparing our students for a much different, I was in college, you know, when I went through doing my bio degree, I, you know, internet just came out. And so I'm you know, I didn't have access to the information. The whole point uh, in terms of science and, and teaching students, is they have to be able to communicate and they have to learn that um, for them to solve a problem, they're going to have, have to work together and they're going to have to bring in multiple um, multiple types of information, whether it's, you know, what type of media, you know, media. And I really think social media, um, if it's used properly, is great for communication and trying to teach my students that, you know, in 140 characters, you know, you can you can share a lot of information. So I, I think those teachers that are, are not embracing some of the new communication methods, they're you know that's, you got to reach your students. And so um, I think communication is going to be the key to sharing information and to improving students' experiences. Yeah, I also think one of the things you you got into the 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 discussion of social media. Um, I was actually having a conversation um, with my principal a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we've had a, I'd say, it'd be fair to say that my last couple of years at my school, you know, we just had some, you know, a lot of tough things that have gone on, um, some weird, you know, weird things, things that have made the year stressful and hard to get through. And, um, you know, I was having the conversation with her and she was, we sort of came to it that things weren't bothering me quite as much as a lot of other people. Um, And she, you know, we kind of came about it and she asked me some questions and I kind of said, well, you know, my professional community my professional network of support is not just in this building so you know like when everybody in the building is down i it's not like i my conversations about teaching and learning shut down and there have been some times we've had some rough weeks where like if you're talking to people in the building teaching and learning you know has taken a little bit of backseat to you know uh, social emotional health and helping people through some tough times but for me i'm talking to people outside the building 
And so I have this professional network that isn't linked into my building. And I think that social network could really be good for everybody's, um, you know, uh, mental health, uh, getting through the tough things that are local, but also getting through the challenges of the teaching um, aspect. And I think that's, you know, if you, when you're on the NA, or the AP bio Facebook, Facebook page, often sometimes, you know, people will talk about, okay, this isn't AP related, but this is a situation. And just, I, I can remember one example where a teacher had a issue with a family member and she's like, I have to plan for three days with a sub boom. She had materials. Yep. And so, and like in my building, I'm the only bio teacher. So I would not have that, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to pull that all that, that uh, materials but so i think the 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 facebook page has be like with ap and nabt has really become a place for people to go to one help i need resources and two like you know I'm, I, I i'm struggling here what can i do um and so i think and talking to some teachers i know some some of the people they're a little more comfortable on the facebook page than necessarily like the whole college board mm -hmm. community aspect and so i, I kind of like the facebook page just a little bit a little bit better just because um, I feel like it's almost a little more personal. Yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of like why I, I see your point. Like, cause I, when, if I have, if I'm struggling with an issue, you know, like at school, we've had a rough week this last week was, was rough, mm -hmm. but um, I can go on and, you know, once the FRQs are released, I could kind of get into that zone and kind of talk about them a little bit. And so, yeah, I see, I think the social media, I think people are going to have to, I think it, it's a great resource and, I try to direct as many new teachers, hey, check this out, check this out. Yeah, and it's, it's ironic because I think we, as teachers, have heard nothing but how negative uh, the social media aspects are for students <laughs> and how they're yeah. not, it's not good for their, their mental health and it's not good for their social emotional learning and uh, all of these aspects. But in reality, you know, it's, it's a tool. It's, a, it's not a, tools and devices are not inherently evil it's how do you use them and i think that as adults the kids were ahead of us in terms of how they use these and now if we as adults can model appropriate use of so you know these these things and say yeah these this is how i build my network and this is how these are the people who help me through things and um you know twitter and facebook these are not inherently evil things um it's not a bad thing to be on social media it's how do you choose to use it? Do you use it to make yourself better or do you use it for these negative aspects? I completely agree. And so, like I said, I just using it wisely and, you know, I was with my students in the beginning of the year, cause I do, um, you know, I do have a Twitter and so I was like, this is what's gonna be posted. I won't follow you, but I will post resources. And if you need, you know, so if it's used in a responsible way, it's a great resource. And it's just making sure the kids, I don't know if, They've ever been really told like this is how you should use it. And that stuff lasts forever just because yeah. you delete it. So anyway, yeah. So I think um, I think the social media is becoming more accepted. I know when you know I've been in this as long as you have. When it first came out, it was like no, no, no. Now it's like this is how the kids are. This is what the kids are doing. Yeah. So. All right. So I'm uh, I'm going to take us in a totally different direction because uh, no <laughs> one of the one of the things that I saw, um, I, I always joke in that I Internet stock my uh, future guests. Uh, no problem. One of the things that popped out for you is that uh, there was this article, a news article out that you had joined a committee to work on stopping the epidemic of opiate abuse in, in Ohio, which like was just, I mean, an amazing read. Um, so topical, so on point. But I guess my question is like, you know, what was your role in this committee and what did you end up taking away from being, and maybe give a little bit of background about, you know, how the committee started and that sort of stuff. So Ohio is, 
is, is up there in number of um, opiate deaths. And so, um, and I'm pretty, I'm, I'm active in, in the science community. And so I got a call last August from the attorney general's office saying the attorney general is forming a committee to look at how to combat this, this drug problem. And so out of the 20 plus members, there was two teachers on it. I was the seven through 12, and then there was a K through six. And so we would have meetings to try to look at one, what is being done in terms of education, in terms of drug prevention, K-12. And what we found was there's, we found a lot of gaps in terms of, you know, you know, looking at when are students, you know, experimenting, how are they experimenting? We were just trying to, it, it, the problem is so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I'll just, as you may know in your own state too, it, it's overwhelming and um, but we, what we really did was we kind of looked at, at least as initial committee to try to figure out where, where can we start? And so we met every two weeks um, and tried to discuss things. And we had experts come in and we had the legislature and I was the teacher voice. And so I kind of talked about, you know, what if, if you want to combat this problem in schools, you're going to have to train the teachers and you're going to have to start out very young. And because most of our deaths, though, are occurring, they're like, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, um, you know, like, how are they getting to that point? And so it was very eye-opening. Um, I've lost some students to, to the drug issue, so I felt pretty um, strongly about it. And so we come out with this commission, here's our suggestions, and now we're at the point where we're going to the next phase of, okay, so the legislature, you're going to give us some money, going to give them money, how are we going to do this training? And so, but... I, I don't, it's, it's just so overwhelming in terms of like how to get around this problem. So, but yeah, so I served as, as, as a science teacher because they want to, a lot of times the drug prevention education is in health classes mm -hmm. and so now they want to try to get it where it's present in all classes and they want to look at it like as evidence-based and they want to try to look at it from a scientific point of view. And so trying to explain to some of these legislators and, and things like that, how, how education works. I think they kind of got an education themselves. So um, I would like to say that we, we fixed the problem, but it's, it's one of those ones, as, as you can see around the rest of the country, it's, it's, it's going to take a long time. So that, that's kind of how I got involved. Yeah. And so, they, so, well, it's not a problem that formed overnight, even if no. people's awareness happens overnight, um, you know, and, and it wasn't also like one thing has led to the rise of opiate use. Uh, many factors have gone gone into it. So, yeah, I, I just commend you. It's it's interesting when I see um, teachers who are into, you know, things that are just not in the classroom and their, their voices are being heard elsewhere. Um, I know that the political winds can sometimes be um, interesting to hear about or to, to to get involved with and try to impact policy. But I'm glad you're, you know, people like you were given that fight um, and what, I, what I told them straight up was like, you need to, so our counselors at school are so overwhelmed with testing. I'm like, we need, if you really want to kind of get us, get ahead of this, you need to get some more mental health counselors. These kids, for whatever reason, you need to get your guidance counselors and school counselors away from testing, hire someone to do that and let them actually dig in and do the counseling. And that's, that's what I told them. I go, I can sit there as a teacher and talk as much about neurotransmission and how heroin and these opiates affect synapses you need you need you need more mental health counselors and i think that point may have got across a little bit but that's that's what my suggestion was i go we can introduce a curriculum 
you've got to have people that these kids can go talk to to work out some of these some of these issues. So, yeah, yeah I I think that it the the count that's an interesting way that you bring it in showing how schools work and sort of what actually happens in a school um is a great perspective so well i thank you for doing it if nobody else has thank you thank you i i appreciate you doing it because it is a it's a national issue yep it's it's gonna be a long it's a long road we just started so all right so on a more uh upbeat positive (laughs) note uh, (laughs) uh what are you uh what are you looking forward to in your classroom in the years to come what what's what's sort of the the next couple of uh big burning tasks for you to to tackle um, my next big couple of tasks again is always improving my AP class. I've my numbers are increasing, so I'm looking at more ways to incorporate some more um, outside resources and having my students do a little more um, of their own kind of uh, experiments or their or their own kind of uh, self-driven um, research, as we'll call that. Um, we just have new science standards in Ohio now. I worked on those and trying to they went through. Ohio's kind of weird. <laughs> We're not a we're not an NGSS state, nor will we ever be an NGSS state. <laughs> so trying to go through and look at our standards and we just, I sat on a commission last month. So trying to get some materials ready and trying to get that all worked out. Um, so those are the big things right now, I guess, just improving things. Like I'm in year 18, you know, I'm like, okay, where do we go from here? Um, trying to look at, I'm also trying to incorporate some more literature into my science classes. Um, I do use Immortal Life Henrietta Lacks quite a bit, um, but trying to get the kids to read a little bit more for science as opposed, you know, I, a lot of times what I find with a lot of new teachers, they just have the kids read the textbook and I go, that's really not science reading. So I'm trying to develop some um, materials there that I can use with, you know, new teachers on how to even incorporate, you know, some some literature there. And my big thing now is argument driven inquiry, which I, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's kind of the it kind of brings all of the communication and justification together. And so trying to do some, I'm trying to create a PD for that. So I got, I got still doing stuff for HHMI. I got a lot of irons in the fire. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it, it keeps me busy, but I think those are my big things now is uh, literature and, um, you know, trying to get kids to read science books, you know, books are based around science and also a little bit more of the PD piece for, uh, for new teachers. So I think that's kind of where I'm going right now. It yeah. may change. <laughs> yeah, but you'll go on a PD thing and something else will excite you and you'll be like, wait a minute, no, I need to do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. That often happens to me. So you you said that Ohio is not um, NGSS and never will be. Uh, like how are the how are the standards written? Are they content They're, heavy? Do they have practices? The, the standards were ba- were written with NGSS in mind. Okay. However, um, legislature passed the law back when you saw kind of the brush back against common core saying that Ohio could not be part of a consortium of, um, states with, with, you know, consortium. So anybody NGSS. So by law, it would, it would require the legislature to overturn it. So our standards are very similar to NGSS. We just can't call them NGSS. So we do have science practices. And so I use a lot of materials based around NGSS and my, you know, students do fine. So it's just, Again, the politics behind education is is um, is unfortunate, and so. Um, but no, our standards are good. But we we will never be unless there's a change in legislature, which I don't see anytime soon. We will not be considered an NGSS state, even though we were one of them that were. Um, governor Kasich, is our, who was our governor at the time, mm-hmm. oh, he's still our governor. He was, you know, a big proponent for it, and so. Um, 
Yeah. So that was, you know, during the election, um, he was kind of took some hits for that. So <laughs> their standards, I think they're good. Um, our standards are good. I got to sit through and we got to go through and kind of cut out some stuff that maybe was not working, but, uh, yeah, so they work. So our students do well. I'm not, I don't teach to a test and I always tell new students, like don't teach to a test. If you're teaching a good biology course, you're teaching your kids to think you're teaching them how to interpret data, make sure you're cut, you know, cut, you know, you're teaching content, they'll be fine. And so that's, that's the biggest thing is, as we mentioned before, we start recording or whatever, you know, this idea of memorization biology teaching is not memorization so you know you they, it's great if you can memorize some facts for for a test but to actually learn it interpret it is much different so yeah it's it's funny because massachusetts is i don't know what our standard what would they call us but we do not have the true ngss um we adopted basically the you know the the practices and then the uh, I guess they're considered disciplinary core ideas, if I get my jargon right. Uh, the the sort of the content standard component, they like they literally went in and sort of rewrote them so that they don't exactly mirror, but they basically mirror NGSS. But they didn't adopt the cross cutting, as I said. So we're like NGSS adjacent. Um, yep. <laughs> but with that said, you know, I teach a I teach an alternative program, uh, a group of kids who. Um, just really struggle uh, for a variety of reasons. And the reasons have changed over time. I'd say historically there were students who had uh, a lot of drug issues along with other learning issues. And now it's a lot of social emotional stuff um, coupled with learning issues. Uh, and so I had built this tutorial system to get them ready for our state test because it's a graduation requirement. And it's just like one of those boxes that has to get checked, but it's never been a great science course. It's been a, like, all right, let's make sure we fill in gaps and get you guys ready. And so for a month or two, I get them ready. And then the rest of it I do as a science course. And now with the new standards, I'm excited because it's like, yep, I need to rehash and rebuild this. Um, I can't use this content-driven system to get them there anymore. I got to use, you know, more inquiry science throughout, which has been the direction I've been going with the rest of the course. Um, it just, It's just an interesting dilemma where I completely agree with you that, it's not about memorization and that sort of thing. At the same time, you know, sometimes you have these political wins yeah. and they have to pass this test to graduate. And I feel like these are our most vulnerable kids who have these gaps who may have been in hospitalization or some, you know, you know, therapeutic facility where they weren't getting any science, but they're a sophomore. So they have to take yeah. a state test to graduate or they were hospitalized their sophomore year. And now they're a junior or, you know, maybe they like something's happened and now they've come in and it's their first semester senior year and they've never taken this test because they've been in and out of facilities and missed exams, but they got to graduate at the end of this year. They got to pass this test. Um, so I've, I, I sort of feel like I, I hate to say that I teach to a test, but for this group, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I teach this sometimes, group to a test. <laughs> and I know sometimes you have to, and I, I, I've been there and it's just, I just, um, the testing is out of control and I, hopefully that'll be something that'll change. Um, like this past back in March, all of, all of the juniors in Ohio are required to take the ACT regardless. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got kids on IEPs or whatnot and they're taking an ACT that's going to be used as some kind of measurement. And I'm like, is that really fair? So uh, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, I understand the importance of having standards. You got to make sure people are teaching what they're supposed to, but yeah, I don't know if there's a good answer to that, you know, and you know, Having to pass test to graduate, I get it, but yeah, I don't know. It, that, that's a whole, whole <laughs> other probably uh, discussion, whole other podcast. Yeah. Well, I guess the the fundamental question is like, 
the the underlying uh, pretext of all of this is that um, as teachers, we can't really be trusted uh, yeah. to say we have these standards um, and I say a student passed my class and we address these standards in this class and I collect the data and I assess them. And so, yeah, they met this graduation requirement of passing this graduation requirement of a course. Um, and so there is an inherent trust that's built into that, um, which I can see why I think very depending on how much you want to get caught up on that about how important the standards are versus how important the test of those standards is, you know, I think that's an interesting dilemma for people um, that they have to work on. They have to sort of work through on their own. Like, where do you want to pick that fight? And I think a lot of people pick the fight with the standards when I think really the issue people have is with the test and the level, yeah. level of trust associated. I agree completely. It's, it's, you know, and I always go back to when, you know, get a new like first time AP teacher, you know, saying, well, I got to cover the material. I'm like, you're don't really, you're not covering material. You're teaching kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, that, that's where I get caught in semantics. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's the test. I think people do, you know, they know what standards they've got to teach, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's we're going to have to have some kind of, eventually it's going to come to, to a head and either <laughs> to just te keep testing the way we are because I don't know and like what's the you know and like what is the test measuring is in like I got some of these students that they're not good test takers but man when they do lab they are they they got it and so so yeah <laughs> you know, answer to that so yeah all right uh so when you are not in the classroom and you're not off in various parts of the world uh, <laughs> uh doing science research what do you what do you do what what what, what fills your time I'm, I'm an avid runner, so I try to run, you know, at least three or four times a week. Um, I do some volunteer work in town, um, hang out, you know, so it's like, it's kind of amazing. I, the running thing is kind of like, I get back from school, I've had a rough day. I, I love the running because it lets me clear my head. And that's kind of, I do it after school, <laughs> where I know some people run before school. I'm like, no, I got to come after school to get everything out. So I do that. Um uh, I, like I said, I volunteer. We have a Earth Literacy Center in town where they do some educational outreach. So I volunteer with them. Um, the traveling, yeah. So it's it, anything that's outside, hiking, camping, those kind of things. During the school year, I don't get to do as much, but with summer coming up, um, yeah. And I, that's something I need to work on. That's what I, work is downtime, and I think that's a whole another issue with uh, with with teachers and talking with first year teachers. Like you have to find a good balance. And after 18 years, I still don't think I've found that good balance. So I'm working on that. But um, yeah, so pretty much anything outside the running, um, you know, anything to just get just step away from the, the you know, the, the Campbell textbook for a while or, or whatnot. So, yeah, uh, it's funny. The balance part is a is a. I, I, I don't know if I'm just ready to give up on it, like saying, yeah, I got a balanced life. And I just have, I have a very full life, you know, one of those things where it's like very full. I too, I'm a runner um, as well. Um, I tend to run more like five or six times a week, although I am now coming to grips yeah. with being old and slow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I was saying I ran, I ran two marathons uh, back in 2016 and the second right. one, the second one just like crushed me. And I have, yeah. I'm still not, yeah, I was more, I was a little bit more hurt by the time I got to it. And I'm just still not a hundred percent. I go out on runs now and I have just zero turnover, but you know, when I feel that way, I just jump into the trails because uh, I can't run fast in the trails. doesn't matter no. how old or slow <laughs> you are. I think it's, it's like therapeutic. Oh, absolutely. It's like how I process. And sometimes I come up with the greatest ideas for class on a run. So I'll come back and I'll write it down. I'm like, Oh, 
so easy, you know, I'll, right. that's kind of, it's kind of like my processing. I come home, change, I do my run. And when I come back, one, I feel better, but I, some of my best ideas for, for stuff to do is come, come during a run. So okay. uh, the yeah, running, I get it. Yeah. The running is, yeah, the running is definitely more therapeutic than competition at this point in our lives. <laughs> yeah, I agree. hundred percent. All right. Before we, uh, before we get to our picks of the, of the episode, do you have any questions for me? So what, what kind of got you wanting to start the, the podcast? Like what kind of got you, what, what, what inspired you to do what you're doing? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've told this story. This is like, well, like probably my most common question people like okay. to ask me. Um, so, uh, the, it originally started, um, back at NABT in Providence. Uh, this is where I, this is my origin story of the podcast. Um, I had done a, a fellowship, um, uh, the summer before with a group of teachers and we were doing a presentation there. And so after our presentation for the teachers, uh, the four teachers, we went out afterwards, sat around a table, had some food, uh, and we're just talking. And we spent like two hours, you know, just talking. And I had, so we had a teacher who teaches in East LA, a teacher who teaches in inner city St. Louis, a teacher who teaches in New Jersey, and me who teaches in suburban Boston. And we're just talking shop, you know, round table bouncing ideas. How, how do you do this? How do you do that? Oh, you know, I find this. And it was just like this super, like, it was like one of the most enriching kind of conversations you can have. You've, you've had these at conferences. And I was like, man, I don't, I want to have this conversation all the time. I don't want to have this conversation once or twice a yeah. year because I happen to be at NABT or NSTA or at a workshop in the summer. I want this conversation all the time. So then I was, that's sort of like where it started. And then I started looking, and I'm a huge podcast guy. And then I, I came to the idea that a podcast would be a great way to do this. You know, maybe I'll get a round table and meet with a group of people, you know, a couple times a month and would talk conversation. And then started doing the logistics on how hard would it be to get multiple people recording and then sort of what is that in terms of an ask of other people. And it's a big ask to do that. Um, at which point I then said, oh, let me just get one person who sees things very differently and we'll have that talk. At which point and then I realized that what I was proposing was to do horizontal transfer, which uh, Kanufki and Anderson were already doing. And I was like, all right, well, I can't just rip off their podcast. Uh, and then so eventually having a couple of conversations with people, I decided, well, what if I just like interviewed one teacher, you know, every, you know, every episode and then just sort of picked their brain and heard what they had to say um, and that's where it evolved to and that's where it is now. And I did one round table where I had um, Paul Strode and Lee, uh, Lee Ferguson on uh, before NSTA. And I, maybe I like to do a couple more of those, you know, where it'd be a good, you know, where I get a couple of people together and we can have a hangout and talk for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes about a topic, um, you know, and maybe I'll do some of those in the next year because I think that would be a good way. But um, I was talking to my colleague that I feel like this accelerated my professional development by a couple of years this year. Cause like I'm doing things, I'm trying things that I wouldn't have tried. Yeah. But I literally have, you know, during this school year, I started, I think I was at episode seven at the beginning of the school year uh, when I talked to Konofsky and here we're at episode 23. It's kind of like I have a couple of conferences every month. Um, <laughs> and it's, I think it's, I think I was going through listening to some of them. I'm like, looking at these names. I'm like, this is, this is such a great idea because you do get to get all these different perspectives and you get to like, talk to people that are active and so yeah i was like oh i can't wait to oh there's robin and there's she so yeah i think i think you have found it your niche yeah. <laughs> so you know what i mean it, it's just it's just a great thing to be able to listen to so yeah well thank I, you for doing it. i listen to get i literally have as i say i have dozens of listeners um 
<laughs> but if it helps one, you know what I mean? Think, Cause that's what I think if you help one teacher, how many kids is that going to help down the road? That's how I look at it. And you know, over a course of their, if teacher teaches for 30 years and you've impacted them over 30 years and they've got, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of students. So that's how I look at, so, so days where I'm thinking like, I'm not having much impact and I, you got to think of it like exponentially. So anyways. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's funny cause I, you know, I, I, I said this, I, I came to grips with it early on that there's really, I, there are ways that people monetize and promote and get their podcasts out. They're like, people do that. Um, and I made the decision very early that like none of that was a priority. Like, yeah. this is not a cost prohibitive thing to do. This is a hobby. All the money, you know, the, the mic that I have, the, yeah. the recording equipment, like it's a, it's, I'll put out the money myself. It's like any other hobby. I'll put a little bit of money into it. Um, I'll, I'll buy the website, you know, I'll pay for the, the posting of the audio, um, and so I decided that that would just sort of be hobby money and I put that aside and not worry about the monetizing or promotion or that sort of thing. And then it really just be for me. So if anything, the, it's impacting the hundred students I have yep. this year and every year going forward. And the answer is it has 100% impacted them. And so anybody else who gets any benefit out of it. Um, and I do think the teachers who I talk to definitely get a benefit out of it. Um, because we, we have conversations and we get to connect and that also provides me opportunities. Like, had I not done this, would I have been one of the people who, you know, Knefki asked to come in and moderate those AP community things? Yeah. And the answer is, I don't know. Well, did I have any impact on any students who aren't mine during that? And the answer is, yeah. Every student who was able to chime in there, I was part of that larger project and that's a benefit. So um, I feel like it's my part giving out. I believe it or not, in spite of the fact that here I am recording this and we're having this conversation, I tend to be sort of a lurker in the communities i don't really post much um it's it's not it's not my it's not my process it's not the way i do i'm a i'm a look i'm a listen i'm a reflect kind of guy and i'm a one-on-one -on -one conversation kind of person yeah I, it, it's kind of because I, I like to think like when i was asked to moderate because at one point there's only one person doing that whole ap bio facebook page it's just you reach down like i like to think of myself as a fixer sometimes i do lurk mostly like i'm like i will go through and kind of lurk a little bit but for the most part i'm in there because I, I like the fix when i see those new teachers are just like struggling so mm -hmm. yeah that's and and i do i have a i do work in a mentoring program where i work with some new teachers and i i definitely there but it even though i've been part of online communities for years my general nature and the jobs i tend to take in those are behind the scenes like reading thinking saying very little in that as, as ironic as it is because on a one-on-one -on -one basis no problem yeah. having these conversations that's that's just sort of the way i like to process things i like to think and reflect and 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 do that so you know this is allows me to to get involved in the sharing and i hope that it has the impact on the people i talk to because they it gives them a chance to reflect just even if they're just here for this you know one episode the reflection they get out of that one episode is part of their larger process and then all the people they impact as a result down the line so like i said it, it, anything that they take away is going to impact much further down the road. So that's how I think you got to kind of look at it too. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, all right. So let's get to the picks of the episode. Uh, so what do you have for us, Chris? I'm thinking if I was, a, if I was a new teacher, I would definitely check out radio lab. Um, I think a, a good one right now, which is with the immortal life, Henrietta lack with the movie being released HBO to go back to that um, radio lab podcast, which is amazing. There's an interview with Rebecca Skloot. Um, and then some new HHMI stuff has come out on some of their new resources on um, freshwater ecology. 
Um, I'm, I'm a fan of anything HHMI, the data points. Um, so those are probably my two picks right now. I think with the end of the school year, though, people are kind of like, they just want to kind of, um, you know, maybe relax a little bit, but definitely um, anything Radio Lab, anything HHMI. So. All right, I'll definitely add uh, links into that into the show notes for for both of those uh, episodes. I know that they did a, uh, they came back and they did a re uh, a renewal of the episode of the of Henrietta Lacks episode um, recently. Um, There's and they have a really good one on CRISPR too, which yeah. I'm not with Radio Lab, and so with all of that, that's where I'm getting a lot of my questions from my students now is this idea of CRISPR, and so I'm trying to point them to some new because I don't fully understand it either, yeah. so I'm trying to point them so that's probably my other pick too so yeah i'm i think i'm getting to the point where i've wrapped my head around it um that's a little bit more in my wheelhouse so the molecular stuff but um i i tell i always have a funny story that you know just when you think you got something down something new happens in biology um yep. for our ap students we send all of our ap biology students out on job shadows um oh, wow. we send them between basically between our february break and our april break um so mid-february to to mid-April, um, every student goes out on a three-hour visit to some place, and we have our numbers. Our numbers are down, but we usually have between seventy and hundred AP Biology students, um, and we'll send like three or four out to a place at a time. I try to get one student from each class so that when they do their presentations, it's not too repetitive, but it varies. And uh, you know, we have a great community, and I um, I have a really nice network of um, parents of alumni who who I stay connected with. Um, along with just active community members who are willing to open their doors. Um, and then uh, I basically twist the arms of like every friend I have that is willing to falsely like who says, oh, that's interesting that like, yep, you're hooked. Uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine from my running club uh, hosts yeah. five students every year. So anyway, I'd sent them out every year. And then I think it was two years ago, like they came back and every kid came back and they were like, so what's CRISPR? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, I finally have to, because I had heard, I had been hearing about it for like six months, and I was like, oh, I gotta actually figure out what this means, because anyone who goes to a university lab, like, all of a sudden, and I, I honestly had literally just wrapped my mind around RNAi, like I. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I literally just because uh, we have a, a a professor we send them off to uh, at UMass, and he was basically saying he was kind of yelling at us, like, "Why aren't you teaching RNAi? You should be doing RNAi lab. It's so important in what we do. It's like it's so fundamental. Like all you know, this is how you science genes." Da, da, da. And so we'd finally come to grips with, and we'd put in an RNAi lab, and I would just sort of figure out how I'd teach that, and then not not six months later, they're like, "So what's CRISPR?" <laughs> So, yeah. so. It's, it's a great jumping off point for like bioethics and, yeah. and those kind of things. And that, that's what I do after the AP exam. I've got my kid. We're done with school next week. I got two weeks left with my kids. And so after the AP exam, that's when we get to do some exploring of some other topics that we may not have got to. So we're going to look at uh, a little bit of CRISPR and some eugenics, I think. So. Cool. Yeah, we weave those in a little bit during the year. But we uh, right now my kids are doing their job shadow presentations. Oh, cool. uh, but I and I only have one more week with my uh, with my seniors, but my juniors don't get out until the end of June. So I wow. actually have about four, three and a half weeks of class with them. And that's when I uh, pilot labs. That's what I like cool. to do during that. So I have a yeah. I have a list of labs, one that is a molecular genetics lab that I just we didn't wrap up. So like we're gonna come back and revisit that and do that. Um, I do a lot of times. I've done the Wolbachia project, um, which we sometimes will do. And then I have, I have a couple of. I've got one experiment that I've got like notes and notes and notes on um, about trying to do a, a, a yeast spheres lab uh, 
with uh, pH to measure respiration. Um, and I've got like all these notes about it, but I don't really know how it was going to work. So I'm going to put them to work and say, all right, I want you guys, here's a, here's a bunch of materials. How do you think this works? And um, I'll see what they can come up with in terms of data. Um, and that's how I've, that's how I've piloted and figured out a bunch of new labs um, as I turn it over to the kids. You're doing science. Yeah. I mean, you're doing science, right? That, that's what I, yeah. that's what I tell the kids lab. It's just, it's just play. Yeah. Science is just, it's almost like play trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. As you said earlier, it's a puzzle. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, it's an, it's a great R and D time for me. So. Um, all right. Well, my pick of the episode is um, sort of you said like the bandwidth idea. Uh, this is perfect at the end of the year. Um, it's it's called the Allium, the Allium.com. And it's basically the onion, but for science news. So, you know, the Allium being the gotcha. name of the onion. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. so uh, very inspired by the onion. And uh, and the one of the examples would be uh, Wolf reveals embarrassment at finding out he is related to a corgi. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and that was in there. Um, I'll say that, you know, like the onion, they're a little hit or miss, as satire often is. Uh, but I, I found it to be a uh, an interesting uh, an interesting way to attack. And they have different columns of types of science. Uh, this one, this was from the life science area. So I thought it was a... Uh, you have to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, as I said, there there were a couple others that I was looking at, and I was like, the headline was hysterical, and then the article was just kind of like, uh, okay. Um, there was like one that was like, uh, study reveals like, uh, study reveals that um, nobody cares about your model organism, which I thought was a great headline. Uh, the article just didn't, which made me laugh, but uh, the article didn't yeah. quite hold up uh, behind there. But a lot of very onion-like uh, things that are very very niche for for bio teachers. So, cool. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, thanks for joining me. This is, uh, it's been really great for me. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be, make it to that list of, uh, educators that you've interviewed. <laughs> so I, I really have enjoyed my, uh, my time here and eventually at the next NST or NABT, we'll have to get together. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe it or not. I saw you there because I saw you at the HHMI booth, but you don't know me. So I, <laughs> and I was, well, uh, okay. yeah, I was talking to, I don't know who I was talking. I was, I was probably talking to uh, either Robin or, um, uh, Sherry, um, or others. I like, I kept on going by every time I went by there, I was like, cause I didn't know Sherry worked for HHMI either. And I was like, you work for HHMI too. Um, <laughs> great group. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing group. So, all right. So let me give my uh, my credits for the episode. Uh, music on this and every episode are provided by X Magicians and Jake Jenkins. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast um, at uh, I guess it's now Apple uh, Podcasts. Now they changed their name from um, from iTunes to Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can also subscribe at Stitcher, SoundCloud, or really any place you get podcasts. You can get show notes on lifeofthe-school.org. Um, you can also sub you can also follow uh, on Twitter. Um, at Mr. Matthew Tweets, where I post all the episodes, or at Life of the School. Uh, I know, Chris, your, your Twitter is much more about communicating to your students. Uh, yeah. Than, <laughs> so uh, unless you want to know, like, when there's a snow day, I think there was, like, a fog day earlier this year, uh, <laughs> fog delay. I'll post some stuff once in a while, but, yeah, yeah it's usually <laughs> just uh, snow delays, fog delays, and whatever else, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Chris is Chris is really good. If you want to know what's going on in Chris's class, you can follow him on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, but you can also, as I said, you always follow me, and you can get it at show notes there. Uh, so thank you all for listening, and I will talk to everybody soon. Bye.